Good afternoon, folks. This is Steve Bradley, God's Wordsmith, and we have now arrived at Matthew chapter 14. The very first topic in Matthew 14 is what happened to John the Baptist. John the Baptist was a character that just kind of emerged on the scene, if you haven't read Luke. <clears throat> he was a uh, prophesied as the forerunner. He was the prophet God sent to prepare the Jewish nation for his son. And the uh, prophet Isaiah said of him, this is he, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. And so he had an immense influence, even though his ministry was only like seven months long. And his ministry touched society at every level. It says, for example, then all Jerusalem, all Judea, and all the region around the Jordan went out to him and were baptized by him in the Jordan, confessing their sins. John <clears throat> took it upon himself, uh, I assume because the Lord told him to, he spoke against society's evils. Now, not like some of today who were activists, but in specific terms, directly to real people and real issues. So here's an example from Luke 4. Therefore, John says, every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So the people asked him, saying, what shall we do then? He answered and said to, him, to them, he who has two tunics, let him give to him who has none. <clears throat> and he who has food, let him do likewise. Then tax collectors also came to be baptized and said to him, Well, teacher, what should we do? And John says, Collect no more than what is appointed for you. In other words, don't try to steal from the people. Likewise, the soldiers asked him, saying, And what shall we do? So he said to them, don't intimidate anyone or accuse anyone falsely and be content with your wages. These were all specific things that people could do, individuals could do to demonstrate that they had truly repented of their sins and then had changed their lives. John's directness, which we see in Luke, that is in the preceding slide, was his downfall. And we read in Matthew chapter 14, which is our text for today, at that time Herod the Tetrarch heard the report about Jesus and said to his servants, this is John the Baptist, he is risen from the dead, and therefore these powers are at work in him. For Herod had laid hold of John and bound him and put him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, <clears throat> whom Herod has take, had taken as his wife, obviously, because John had said to him, it is not lawful for you to have her. So Herod basically says, I'm taking this woman. John says you can't have her. <clears throat> and he apparently said it to Herod. And although Herod wanted to put him to death, he feared the multitude because they counted him as a prophet. 
John treated Herod just like a regular guy, just like you or me, just just like any other middle-class person or peasant or whatever. He didn't treat him like a king at all. <clears throat> he didn't treat him like someone who could kill him when he pleased. John told Herod what he told him, and Herod, who ruled over um, Galilee and Perea, the region around Jordan, took offense and had John arrested. Herod considered John enough of an annoyance to kill him. But the crowds regarded John as a great prophet, which he was. So Herod bowed to public opinion for a while. <clears throat> Eventually, however, and we see here that true prophets often don't fare well in the presence of kings, dictators, and governments. Eventually, Herod had John killed. In Mark chapter 14, we read, At that time Herod the Tetrarch heard the report about Jesus and said to his servants, This is John the Baptist. He's risen from the dead. Therefore these powers are at work in him. For Herod had laid hold of John and bound him and put him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, because John had said to him, it is not lawful for you to have her. And so we go through this again, that Herod feared the multitude because they counted John as a prophet. But when Herod's birthday was celebrated, the daughter of Herodias danced before them and pleased Herod. Therefore, he promised with an oath to give her whatever she might ask. So she, having been prompted by her mother, said, well, give me John the Baptist's head here on a platter. So basically, she wanted John beheaded and to be presented with John's head right in the middle of the dinner party. And the king was sorry, meaning sad, However, because of the oaths and because of those who sat with him, he commanded it to be given to her. So he sent and had John beheaded in prison. His head was brought on a platter, given to the girl, and she brought it to her mother. Then his disciples came and took away the body and buried it and went and told Jesus. Now when Jesus heard this, he departed from there by boat to a deserted place by himself. In other words, he wanted to get away from Herod because he knew that Herod had it in for him as well. So I want to talk briefly about the concept of a friendly government. Now let's be blunt. There is no such thing. Governments exist for their own benefit. The whole idea of a social contract in which people agree to be ruled is really pretty dumb because it exists only in the mind of philosophers. There are better and worse governments, but every government exists to benefit and perpetuate itself, and every government, now listen carefully here, is specifically under Satan's control. These are the words from Jesus' temptation in Luke 4. Then the devil took him up on a high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to him, All this authority I will give you and their glory, for this has been delivered to me, and I give it to whomever I wish. 
As usual, Satan told a half-truth. Yes, he had authority and influence in the kingdom of men, but God is the ultimate ruler, and Satan couldn't just deliver the kingdoms of the world into Jesus' hand, because Satan was ultimately under God's control. But of course, what he said was partially true, as is normal with the evil one. So in John chapter 14, verse 30, right at the end in the upper room discourse, just before he's crucified, Jesus said, I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He didn't mean Pontius Pilate. He didn't mean Caiaphas the high priest. He didn't mean anybody but the spiritual power behind those people. The ruler of this world is coming, and he has nothing in me. <clears throat> and then in 1 John chapter 4, verse 19, toward the end of the New Testament, John says this, We know that we, that is Christians, are of God, and the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. Now, the words under the sway are in italics in um, most versions, <clears throat> but the whole idea is that in the possession, in the control of the wicked one, that's where the world actually exists. Now, while Romans chapter 13 counsels us to follow the laws of the land in which we live, because governments as a whole are ordained by God, it's quite clear from just looking at history that satanic influences have a major role in our world. If you look at the corruption in every single government in the world, you can't possibly believe that they're either neutral or godly. Every single one has these same problems. Ours is probably less so, or possibly now as much as, but Satan is very, very powerful in the governments of the world. And here is what Paul says about not just governments, but all of life. He says, finally, my brethren, in Ephesians chapter 6, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes, the wiles of the devil. <clears throat> For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts, and some translate that forces, hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having all, having done all that is, to stand. Christians have generally fared pretty badly in oppressive governments, whether those governments are communist, fascist, oligarchic, or ostensibly democratic. History is filled with Christians abused by their governments, and I might add that many of those governments have been supported by various sectors of the Christian church, such as the Catholic Church or the Anglican Church. And the record of the Roman Catholic Church in this regard is terrible. 
as was the record of the Anglican Church in Britain and sometimes the Puritan churches in New England and the, the Lutheran churches in Germany. Basically, wherever government and churches have combined to form something new, which they think is the theocracy, it's not. It's not a good thing. On the other hand, when government is completely secular, it is totally corrupt. Any group with authority is the problem because people are too easily tempted to use that authority as Satan would have them. Authority is almost always abused. Like the philosopher said, power corrupts. Absolute power corrupts absolutely. And Christian people in countries like the U.S., need to be exceedingly careful, now listen to this, with their votes. It's not just about politics, folks. It's a spiritual battle. When you vote, you are voting for either, either for the devil or for God, or for a mixture of both, and sometimes it's up to us to figure out which is worse. So I have some practical suggestions here. <clears throat> Number one is that despite the fact that Satan is incredibly powerful in our corrupt world, we must take our citizenship seriously. If the recent actions of corrupt and compromised people teach us anything, they teach us that. We see news organizations and governments colluding to deceive us we see all kinds of things happening on the foreign, in foreign countries that are just as bad or worse than ours. We see people oppressing and destroying ordinary average folk. Why is that? Well, because they can. And that's an important factor to remember. <clears throat> One of the things that government has to have is some semblance of outside citizen control. Barring that, they become completely evil. Secondly, prayer is not an exercise in futility. Many people think that it is, but great things happen when people pray. So always pray for the government but principally that the men and women in it might respond to the conviction of the Holy Spirit and turn to the Lord. Be honest. <clears throat> and by the way, don't believe people when they say, well, I'm this or I'm that or the other thing. Watch what they do. What they do will tell you who they are. The real key to any nation's health is Christian revival and salvation of the lost. Over and over again, countries have been transformed by the work of the Holy Spirit. But on the other hand, without Jesus Christ, people and governments are doomed to corruption and evil. So pray, be knowledgeable, be vigilant, be diligent. 
know who you're dealing with. In other words, <clears throat> take some time and actually examine people's history. Pay some attention other than just the news stories about them, whatever they might be, positive or negative. Know who you're dealing with. This is extremely hard with situations where you're voting for people like judges. They manage to hide pretty much all their decisions, but they should be transparent. They should be forced into transparency. I want to know if some judge has let go a rapist who raped a kid. I want to know that because that judge is going to lose my vote. Do not vote a party, <clears throat> whether it's Democrat, Republican, Independent, Libertarian, whatever it is, don't vote a party. Vote for principles, that is, godly principles. Look for truth tellers and honest men and women. I'm not in political agreement with her, but Tulsi Gabbard comes to mind in this particular uh, situation, this, this time of life. Christians should be a voting block for godliness and righteousness. You should be part of a vote for godliness and righteousness. And by the way, sometimes pastors have been told they can't say things like this. I can because I'm not getting any money from you. I'm not a 501c3. I can say what I want. Don't ever think nothing can be done. Of course it can. It takes work, prayer, and patience. And sometimes, as in World War II, it takes the exposure of being defeated in war. Nobody would ever have known what was happening to the Jews in the Holocaust, except for World War II. And I remember General Eisenhower, of course, I don't remember him personally, but I remember he is quoted as having said, take video of this, because someday people will try to deny that it happened. Six million Jews just exterminated in ovens with cyanide because they were Jewish. It happened to Christians too, just not as much. Be careful when someone supports such evil. They're lending aid to that serpent of old, the wicked one, the devil. God bless you guys. Support what is right. Do what is right. And as like someone said once, do right till the stars fall. God bless you.